Welcome to Getting Real About Baxter, the podcast where I talk to several experts about the various lakes, streams, and ponds in Baxter State Park and the fish that live in them. I'm your host, Sylvia Hart with Friends of Baxter State Park, and in today's episode, I sit down with Stan Powells, who's an avid fisherman and a biologist by training, not by trade. He tries to fish as many places in Maine as he can, and he found Baxter a few years ago and fell in love. So what's your story? So my name is Stan. I live in, uh, in Raymond. I have been fishing for a very, very long time. And it's something that's in my blood. And it's also, as, as I think we'll get to later, it's um, something that has organized my life, where I live, what I do, how I make a living, and how I spend my time. I'm a biologist by training. And I work as a consultant, as an environmental consultant in the area. And, uh, but my real passion is the outdoors, camping, hiking, canoeing, and fishing. That's, that's what I do. So how long have you been fishing for, and what does it mean to you? Well, I have been fishing, oh my goodness, I'd say probably since I was six or seven. A long time. My yeah. dad took me maybe five times, no more. And then, <clears throat> and then he stopped doing it, unfortunately. Mm because it could have been a great vehicle to build a relationship, like deeper than what you would typically get, you yeah. know, being at home. But he did plant a tiny little seat in my head, which has grown into a passion. And even as a, as a small kid, I took it upon myself to, to learn how to fish. I would read books because I didn't have a mentor. Mm -hmm. So I read books and I went out and I, I got skunked, which is inevitable when you're that age. <laughs> yeah. But out of getting skunked, you learn. You learn why you're getting skunked, and you see patterns. And so I definitely improved my fishing over time as a kid. And in fact, um, my parents rented an apartment at the seashore in the winter. And so my cousin and I would spend our weekends, literally entire weekends, digging for sandworms, and I'm putting those on hooks, and fishing for flounder or cod on the North Sea. I was born in Belgium. And didn't catch much, but uh, I just tremendously enjoyed being outside, mm. particularly in the winter. It's rough, it's cold, it's rainy, and uh, it, it toughens you up. So to me, it was a, a wonderful experience to be out, to learn, and to become tough. And yeah. so it, it definitely was um, something I've been doing since I'm, I was a preteen. And in terms of what it means to me, it essentially organized my life, which is kind of a funny, funny thing to say. But my interest in the outdoors, my love of fishing, of camping, made me go to college. Mm -hmm. It made me become a biologist. It made me live where I'm living, which is on a lake. And it made me do what I do, which is, which is fishing. Yeah. And out of, out of that love comes a blog that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. I've been writing that blog for eight years now. It's called AmazingFishyMetric.com. It's online. It's, uh, it gets over 100,000 hits. Holy cow. Yes, 100,000 hits a year. So I, it, apparently it's, it's hitting a target and it's hitting an audience. And I get wonderful reviews from people who say thank you because I talk about where I go fish, what I catch, how I catch it, how I get there, what to look out for. 
I don't hold anything back. Uh, when I started writing my blog, that was the purpose. I didn't want to hide anything. Yeah. I figured, what's the point? And more importantly, and we're going to get to Baxter State Park out of that, mm. it's something, because I, I want to keep on blogging about new places, it forces me to keep on looking for new places to fish. And so I ultimately ended up in Baxter State Park a couple of years ago uh, because of the need to write my blog and come up with new topics to write about. And so that worked out really nice in terms of, um, of expanding my, my interest yeah. in fishing. Yeah. Um, so who or what do you dedicate your fishing skill to? Well, at this point, it's really dedicated to the angling public out there. I mean, the reason I'm blogging is because I love what I'm doing. I love sharing it. And the, the one way to, to get that information out is to put it in a blog mm -hmm. with a couple of pictures and a story and have people respond to it either directly by sending me a little note or simply going out there and catching fish yeah. and, and increasing the, their catch rate. One thing I've learned through trial and error, really, is that fish are always feeding. They're always doing something. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not catching them, it's not because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing to catch them. And so one of the nice things about just consistently going out and fishing and, and learning and reading and talking to people and researching is that you get to understand that there, there are patterns. Mm -hmm. There are real patterns in the way fish behave. And if you understand the patterns and you know where you are in the season and you understand what these fish are eating or what they're doing at any one particular time, you will catch fish. Mm -hmm. And for example, I went to Baxter State Park several years ago and didn't catch much. Um, I got skunked. But I learned, and out of that learning, I went back several times more and I started catching fish because I was doing things differently because I read more about it. I talked to the rangers mm -hmm. who told me secrets, yeah. which I then blogged about, of course. <laughs> and uh, out of that came wonderful experiences, fishing for trout in, in a, a absolutely gorgeous yeah. place. Yeah. So. Um, when, well, you kind of answered this, but when did you really become interested in fishing? As a kid, yeah. really as a kid. And um, I had an uncle who unfortunately, well, he was my, my dad's brother, and he was into fishing. Mm -hmm. And so before I could drive a car, he would take us to the North Sea. In, in, the, in the winter, we would go uh, caught fishing. And so we would go on a party boat and, and fish. And one of the things that came out of that are deep memories yeah. of just being out there, the smell of the ocean, the smell of the fish, the camaraderie. And 50 years later, it, it's still there. And I still like recreating these moments because they mean a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And um, as a kid, uh, I was probably older. I'd say probably my late teens. A cousin, one of my cousins and I, who was also into fishing, uh, we biked to Ireland. Oh. Yeah, I know. We, took, uh, we, left, we left Antwerp, where I was born. We took uh, a ferry into, Lo into uh, Britain, we took a train into London, we crossed London by bike, and then we took a train to the, to the West Coast, and then we took a ferry into Cork, Ireland, and then we took a bus and we biked and we made it all the way to Western Ireland. Holy cow. I know, and that's, that's with the bike. So we had all yeah. our fishing equipment, all our food, all our camping gear. Yeah. 
and we made it all the way there and the idea was to go shark fishing so i had a contact with a guide whom we paid to go shark fishing and that was in august i remember the the, the year not the year but the the month mm -hmm. and it was a very warm august and it was a red tide oh. and so there was no fishing yeah. we spent a week going all over the the base that we were that we were camping on and we caught one sand, sand shark oh, no. But a wonderful memory nonetheless, yeah. because let me tell you, making it all the way to Western Ireland with a bike yeah. is, it's wonderful because it's hard, it's, it's not easy, you've got to, you know, you've, you've, you've got to learn to, uh, to be tough and, and, and take things. And also as a kid, I biked to the, uh, the Northern Netherlands with the same cousin. I mean, him and I were very tight. And we, we biked about 200 miles, again, with all the camping gear and everything else. And uh, we stayed on an island in the northern, uh, the north of, of the Netherlands, and we fished for a week. It rained for a week, and we didn't catch a thing. <laughs> All that to say, I mean, you would think at, at some point you'd say, okay, you know, enough. Yeah. But no, because fishing is much more than catching fish. I mean, it's it part is. of it. Don't get me wrong. You, you want to catch fish. <laughs> but it's really much, much more than catching fish. It's the experience. It's the camaraderie, uh, toughing it out. And, and simply making memories that, that you hold for life. Yeah. I mean, this is a long time ago and it's still right there. I yeah. still remember it like it's yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Um, so have you spread your love of fishing to your children? Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. I have, I have two sons, one of whom I turned into a fanatic, essentially. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fanatic. I've been fishing with him for 30 years or more. And he's really taken, he's really taken to heart. In fact, he recently bought a piece of land in down East Maine because he wanted to, uh, to find a spot where he could take his family and, and his sons and teach them all the stuff that he that learned that we've, we've done together. And so he's become a really nice fisherman. And one of the things that happens when you fish is you spend a lot of time together. Yeah particularly when, when you do it with, with your kids. And the nice thing about that is that it creates a relationship that you can't create any other way because mm. when you spend eight hours on a boat, <laughs> yeah. you, you talk, you, you, know, you make connections, you talk, you share ideas, you share plans, you share memories. And it's something that was very important to us because as a teenager, he had a hard time. Yeah. But because we had this tremendously strong bond, he came back, yeah. and and we 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 mend our relationship. And this is this is thirty years ago, so it's a long time ago. But what I'm trying to say is that fishing is always more than catching fish. It, it's it's a lifestyle. It's a it's a mindset. And when you do a lot of it with the same person, you do create a kind of relationship that's difficult to create any other way. Yeah. I don't know if that's something you've experienced in yeah. the past. Right, it is, and so he has he has passed on that love not just of fishing, but of hiking, of canoeing, of trips, of fishing to his kids. He has two sons, mm -hmm. uh, they're eleven and twelve, and he's definitely teaching them how to do it. In fact, the twelve-year-old, his name is Giovanni. I took him fishing uh, in May this year. We went to uh, to Greenville, mm -hmm. and he's just learning to to fly fish. Yeah. And so it, it's tough because it's tough to get it the fly is. out. You got the lines everywhere. But he caught his first brookie. Oh, wow. His first native brookie. Yeah. 
yeah. not just a wild one. This was a, a native, genetically wow. pure brook trout, one of the ponds up in, uh, uh, around the Greenville area, and you should have seen a smile on his face. It wasn't a big fish, maybe 14 inches, but I dare say mm. he's going to remember that fish yeah. for the rest of his life. Yeah. So, th so that's, that's the idea of building memories mm. via fishing. You could do it other ways. You could do it via skiing or via whatever, but to me it's via fishing. And I think Giovanni is going to remember that fish because I was with him. Grampy was there, yeah. you know, and, and teaching him how to do it. And he's going to remember that. And yeah. that's important. I mean, these are important memories that, that mean something and, and, you know, are the foundation of, of relationships, which I think is very important. It is, yeah. Do you go fishing a lot in Baxter State Park? Oh, my goodness. I wish I could go much, much more. <laughs> Baxter State, unfortunately, is anywhere from three to four hours yeah. where I live. In southern Maine, so I can't, I just can't buzz over there mm. in a week and it, it's too far away. Uh, Baxter State Park to me was what it probably means to 95% of the people who go there, it means Mount Katahdin. Yeah. So for years, for decades, when I went to Baxter State Park, I went to Mount Katahdin. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was the reason I went to Baxter State Park and went up and down Mount Katahdin multiple times. Love it. Um, but at some point, when I started blogging and started looking for ways to, to kind of expand my range of experiences, I stumbled across the fishing in, Mon in, uh, yeah. in Baxter State Park. So I did, I did research on the internet and found out that there's a whole boatload of ponds mm. that I had completely not even thought about. And so maybe, maybe six years ago, I um, organized a trip that consisted, the, the idea was to go from uh, Matagamam, Mat, what's the name uh, of yeah, it? Yeah, Matagamam. Matagamam, thank you, mm -hmm. gate, and hike all the way down to Roaring Brook yeah. campground, yeah. and then fish a bunch of ponds along the way. And, and I started, we started that trip, actually uh, my son and I did that. And by the third day, I twisted my ankle. Oh. And unfortunately, that was the end of, of the trip. So yeah. we had to hobble back and, and, and get back home. But the idea of, of fishing in Baxter State Park was definitely put in my mind mm. during that trip. And so two years later, we, we did the trip and we completed it. Nice. And so we fished, uh, I, I fished particularly, probably about 10 ponds wow. all the way. And yeah. as you know, you can rent canoes mm -hmm. at each of these, well, most of these ponds. So I made all the arrangements. I got all the keys, uh, did all the arrangements for, for the camping. And, and we hiked it in five days. Wow. And it was an absolutely fantastic experience because we did it by the end of September. Yeah. And the nice thing about the end of September is the park is empty. And there's, the leaves, too. Wow, wait a <laughs> second. We're not done yet. Yeah. The leaves. So there's no one in the park. Mm. It's empty. It's your leaf peeping, your hiking, your camping, and your fishing. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the five major things in life yeah. in one place. And when we did it, the weather was, was, was nice. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. The leaves were spectacular. Mm. There, was, there was no one. We saw four people on the trails. Oh, that's it? Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. In fact, we made it to Russell Pond, mm -hmm. which is in the middle of the park. Yeah. Uh, one evening, uh, it's a long story. There was a lot, of, a lot of things happened during that day. But we made it, and there was no one else, mm -hmm. which is really rare because Russell Pond is, is a popular location. It is. And there was no one else there, and we were able to actually rent a cabin. There's a cabin up there. Oh, wow. So instead of setting up the tent, it was actually drizzling, and we were tired, and I just didn't feel like, like setting mm. up camp and this and that. But 
because there was no one there, it was end of September, uh, we were able to rent the cabin and finish the trip because after the day after we got back to uh, to Roaring Brook and uh, Russell Pond unfortunately it's gorgeous but I couldn't see the mountains because it was full of it was full of clouds but um, uh, it, it was simply a spectacular hike it was easy because it was flat for the most part yeah. it, it's, it's a flat hike you're not going up and down mountains and uh, the fact that we could fish and I fished like seven or eight ponds and caught fish in every one of them Wow. So it was it was just a fun trip. Yeah. And so I also afterwards again at that point I was I was bitten in terms of Baxter State Park fishing. I mean, <laughs> it was just it was so neat. So I also found out that you can rent uh, camps cabins. Yeah. I didn't know that, but you can rent cabins at Kidney Pond and at Daisy Pond. Mm -hmm. So guess what? There's like two dozen, well maybe <laughs> not two so dozen, many. but there's there's like a dozen and a half. Uh, native state heritage fish waters right there. Yeah. So twice I went and rented a cabin on both, well, first a kidney and then daisy, and then fished all the areas, all the ponds in that area in, in a couple of days. And again, you have, you have canoes at every one of these sites. You hike in. Uh, the place, but the, the, camp, the camps were, were busy. Mm -hmm. But once you get out and, and you do, uh, you do your, your hiking to get to these spots, it's all yours. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always surprised. And you know, granted, I go I go uh, mid to late May, which is before the crowds arrive, and the last week of September before the fishing closes. And mm -hmm. so, typically, well, always, it, it's much less crowded than if you go in July and August. Yeah. At that point, there's a lot of people. So if you choose your timing right, uh, the fishing is great mm -hmm. in the spring, and then early fall, and the place is, is empty. Which is always a bonus because you know Baxter State gets very busy in the yes, summer, it does. and and so being able to pick and choose your dates is always a good a good way to uh, to fish in peace. Hmm. What is your favorite place to fish in Baxter, and why? Holy smokes, my favorite place. The, there's so many of them. The one the one pond I absolutely fell in love with is Middle Fowler. I was fishing with my son and then also a nephew who also got into fishing years and years ago. And we were fishing around a Trout Brook Mountain. Mm -hmm. There's five ponds over there. Yeah. Uh, billfish, long. Uh, high pond. High pond, lower fowl, middle fowl. So we were hiking. And the beauty of, of that loop is that the hikes are like one or two miles. Yeah, they're not It's they're beautiful. Not bad. So you get up in the morning. I get up early. I fish early in the morning. We then have breakfast. We break the campsite down we put everything in our backpacks you you hike an hour mm -hmm. and you're at the other pond yeah it's great and then you unpack you set up camp and you go fishing and so it's not like you've got to hike 17 miles to get somewhere it's all there in, yeah. in that particular loop and so when we reached middle fowler it just blew me away it was a, a, a beautiful sunshiny day and you see the peaks of the traveler mountains that are sticking out in the back there and we started fishing that afternoon and didn't do well that was part of the learning process mm -hmm. because what happened in the evening this is now we're talking late september uh, in the evening the sun sets the wind dies down and the trout come up from the bottom so they're all sitting at the bottom there yeah. away away from from the sunshine and my son my nephew and i we were all three in a canoe and we caught 40 brook trout 
in an hour and a half Holy or whatever cow. it was. I mean, they were just everywhere. It was so beautiful. Yeah. And and we were fishing at that point. I, I didn't think of bringing my uh, my my fly fishing rod. Mm -hmm. I was using an ultralight spinner, and so so was everyone else. And we were just using little MEP spinners mm -hmm. and, and just tossing it out. Trouts were rising everywhere. It was just magic. Yeah. It was just absolutely magic. And the nice thing about fishing end of September, besides the fact that the trout are biting again and there's no one else, mm. is there's no mosquitoes, yeah. there's no black flies, and there's no deer flies, yeah. which can drive you oh, mentally yeah. insane. Yes, and it, so. you know, particularly in June, July, <laughs> and August. Well, by the end of September, they're all gone. The mm. people are gone. The bugs are gone and the fish are up and feeding. So we had an absolutely wonderful memory. I mean, there's, there's so many other places I can talk about, but, but that's the one that really stuck in my mind in terms of, of its beauty and its location. And the fishing was spectacular. Yeah. Can't beat that mixture. Yeah. And uh, we had friendships with uh, my son and, and my nephew. Mm. So it was wonderful. Mm. Um, is that your favorite fishing story from Baxter? Or do you have another one? I have another one. Uh, the other one is another time I went with my son Joel and I wanted to fish and I, I'm going to try to say the name. It's Nesowatnehunk stream. Oh, Well, there you go. Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. No, okay. I'm not going to try to say that again. I'm going to call it Nesowa. Okay. There's no way I can say that. People, well, people call it Saudi. Saudi? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's call it Saudi then. Well, Saudi comes out of Saudi Lake mm -hmm. and then runs on the western side, kind of roughly on the western side of the park boundary along the toad road and it works its way into the west branch of the Penobscot River another fantastic place to fish by the way the west <laughs> branch but that's a different story and um, I had tried fishing that stream once before and gotten skunk mm. so again you learn from getting skunked so there was something I wasn't doing right and I think the thing I was doing wrong is I was doing what everyone else was doing yeah and that is I would take my car drive up the toad the, the park toad road and then find a spot where I could where I could see the stream and then fish that spot. Mm -hmm. Well guess what? Everyone else does that too. Yeah. So I learned from that I needed to come up with a different strategy. So the next time we went, I took my canoe with me and the waders of course, but I also took my canoe because I wanted to go fish uh, beaver ponds yeah. that, that that are there. Mm -hmm. And an an amazing tool that I use when I when I look for spots to go fish that I've never fished before, I use Google Maps mm -hmm. and I can fly right over yeah. the landscape and I can see. And so by doing so, I found a bunch of beaver dams on, on the stream and the brook trout love to, to hide underneath the beaver dam itself. Yeah. They, they love this running water and then the flowage behind it is also a great habitat for the trout. Mm -hmm. And so I, I located a bunch of these beaver dams towards towards the lake and found a way again via Google Maps, found a way that I could bushwhack my way in. And so my son and I dragged the canoe in there and we wanted the canoe yeah. because it would allow us to go through the beaver flowages to mm -hmm. the next beaver dam. Because otherwise you go to walk yeah. and it's a pain because it's deep and it takes a long time. Yeah. And so we ended up fishing that afternoon um, uh, three or four beaver dams that we found and we nailed them we absolutely clobbered these brook trout they were small eh, six to maybe ten inches mm -hmm. but i don't think they would ever seen a fly before <laughs> I, I really don't this is all fly fishing by the way never seen a fly before and and when we approached one of those beaver dams there were schools of trout they were just sitting there <laughs> so we would get to the beaver dam and the trout would the 
skitter away, and then within five minutes, the school would reform, and we would simply catch them. Wow. They would be right there. I know. Isn't that amazing? That is. Unbelievable. And so we caught, I don't know, three dozen, four dozen trout. Just in an afternoon. Again, it's a fantastic memory because we did it in the fall, mm -hmm. like the last week of September before the, the fishing closes. There was no one else there. There were no mosquitoes. It was gorgeous and the trout were biting. Yeah. So it, that truly, that was fun because we got skunked the first time and then we figured out how to catch them the second time. Yeah. And, and we went there. We went there with the right equipment. The canoe was a lifesaver because it allowed <laughs> us to paddle right through the beaver floor or just to the next beaver dam. And so we spend an afternoon just clobbering these trout. Every every one of them goes back, of course. It's just yeah, the fun, yeah. just the fun of catching them. But I don't think I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen trout so aggressive. They really? were just they were just suicidal almost. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really amazing because I don't think they'd ever seen a little Mickey fin before. They've yeah. never seen a dry fly because because getting there, where well, you had to bushwhack. Yeah. And, and then you had to grab, drag a canoe and then drag the canoe up. And so it was hard to get. But there's some real nice hidden spots in there yeah. that if people take the time to learn mm -hmm. and take the time to figure out, they can have a, a good time yeah. catching a lot of fish that are very naive and they're native. Yeah. They're just completely native. It's, it's beautiful. It is. So why would you recommend Baxter State Park for others for fishing? Oh my goodness. Um, well, first of all, the location. It's in a, in a beautiful part of the state. It's, it's remote. Uh, it's very well managed. Uh, I know I have heard people complain about the, um, you know, the restrictions, but hell, if you don't restrict, it becomes a yeah. free for all. And then the place, the place goes down the drain. So I have no problems with, uh, with the way it's run. And, and the fact that you have, I don't know, 30, 40, uh, state heritage fish waters in there. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few. I yeah. mean, there, there's a whole bunch of them. You can fish ponds, <clears throat> sorry, that are easily accessible. Like for example, the ones around kidney pond and uh, daisy pond, you can drive right up to, to the to the cabins and yeah. then hike into the ponds and it's no more than a couple of miles if that or you can you can hike up i mean not hike up you can go to uh to uh to trout farm to uh, i'm sorry trout brook farm mm -hmm. and then fish the five ponds at the top there or you can do what we also did which is the trans yeah. trans baxter fishing trip which is a five-day hike it's about 28 miles so was it five five days we took four days and it's flat so yeah. the reason I would tell people, I would recommend people to go is it's an amazing place. If you go at the right time of the year, you can catch a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. And there's not too many people if you do it at the right time. Typically by you know, mid to late May, the park opens up on the 15th of May. Yeah. So anytime after that, until, until late June, I think, is really when the, the fishing is good. And then because of the summer... The, the warm water makes it more challenging. Maybe in the evenings you can catch some fish, yeah. but it get, makes it more challenging. The, the trout will tend to um, to go deep, so that they hide away from the sunshine. They'll go where where, where the, the springs are, for example, and and you know, hide over there. Uh, and then the experience of of simply having a wilderness setting. Yeah. I mean, some of those ponds, and I I don't think I've said this enough, particularly the ones. Uh, in the southwest corner, every one of them has a view of Katahdin. Mm. 
or just about. And if it's not Katahdin, it's the mountain range right next to it. So every one of these ponds, it simply looks gorgeous. Yeah. So you, you get onto the pond, and the first thing you say is, like, oh, my God, look at this. And you see all the ranges. I remember going to Grassy Pond. That is beautiful. It I, is. I love that one. It is. I mean, you get to Grassy Pond, and you see, what, six mountains? Yeah. Just right there, right in front of you. And I had a wonderful experience of, on Grassy Pond with my son Joel again. Uh, we were up there fishing, mm -hmm. and I had, I had no idea what to expect. Yeah. No idea what to expect. And we hiked in. It's about a mile from, from the toad road. Rented a canoe and, <clears throat> and fished it. We did it in the evening. That's something I've learned. Yeah. You, you, just, you just fish the evening. That's when the, the trout are really biting. So about two hours before sunset. So we got there and the first reaction was, oh my God, look at this landscape. It's just unbelievably beautiful. And uh, Grassy Pond is real shallow. Mm -hmm. It's maybe no more than, than five feet or whatever. And it's called grassy because the, the, the plants are growing right out of it. Yeah. So it's real shallow, but the water is really cold. Oh. Really cold. I'm guessing there must be springs over there. Uh, the other thing is it must be fed by water coming off Mount Katahdin. Mm -hmm. And so it's, even in the summer, it, gets, it stays real cool. And in... How many fish did we catch there in two hours? Hour and a half, maybe. 30? 30, 40? Wow. I mean, it was just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. The fish were suicidal. Again, just as in, as in the stream, mm. uh, the two of us, we were fishing in, I think we had separate canoes. And this was also before I was, I was using my fly fishing rod. And the, the fish were rising everywhere. I mean, it was just, it was almost weird. Mm. You, you see hundreds of rises yeah, it constantly. Like it's just it, It's like it's raining. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. And, and you just have to throw a little spinner and I'll pass the rise and, mm -hmm. and slowly bring it in and boom, you, you'd catch a fish. Nothing wow. big, anywhere from, I don't know, six, seven inches to maybe the biggest was 10 inches. Yeah. But again, being out there, being by ourselves, the view. Uh, I mean, I would recommend anyone who likes brook trout fishing and who likes to, to hike and camp and simply likes the outdoors to, to go to Baxter State Park and yeah. give it a shot. Yeah. and do it at the right time and bring the right equipment and do some research so you know, you know when to fish, where to fish, how deep to fish mm -hmm. and you'll catch fish. You, you will catch fish. Yeah. So my final question is if you had any advice for a student that loves the outdoors or wants to work in the outdoors or whatever it is, what advice would you give to them? Wow, I would say follow your heart. And, and I say this because that's ultimately my story. Mm. I, I started fishing when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old. Started fishing, you know, for perch in, in the local duck pond and then ended up fishing in the ocean. And, and it's that love of fishing that got me to, to become a biologist. Yeah. And it's that love of fishing that got me to, to do more studies. And, and I do my work. Not not necessarily in fisheries, but it involves fish yeah. and it involves aquatic environment. Uh, I live where I live because I, I I like fishing and I like the outdoors. So I mean, my advice is go for it. There is a lot of jobs in the field, um, and I'm not going to name them all. But I mean, there's a lot of opportunities, and we need younger people to be excited about the environment. Mm -hmm because we need them to be the, the stewards in the future of that environment. Yeah. And you, you can't do that playing video games. 
it doesn't work you've got to be out there uh, enjoying the outdoors learning how to fish learning how to how to live in the outdoors and be comfortable with it and so any advice is follow your heart do what you want to do uh, make experiences like like you're doing because it ultimately leads to 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 a, a lifestyle yeah. and, and a place where you're going to be happy mm -hmm. later on in your life uh, i think the worst thing is to to live a life with with sorrow and regret yeah and and at least personally i can say i'm living a life that's not with sorrow and regret because i've been able to live my 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 dream and, and one of the reasons, in fact, I came to Maine, and it's a long story, but it's because of, of what Maine represents yeah. and, and the outdoors. And when I was, I went to uh, undergraduate school in Buffalo, in New York, mm -hmm. which is not the outdoors. No. It's a big old urban city. It is. And when I was applying for grad school, I made it a point to apply in out of, out of way places, yeah. Alaska and Montana and Idaho and, and Oregon and Maine. And it is in Maine that I ended up being accepted. And I'm so glad mm. because it allowed me to make my life over here. I'm going to meet my wife and my kids are over here. And, and my son is bringing up his sons mm. in, in, in a way that I enjoyed growing up myself. And so it's important to follow your dream and, and get to where you want to be in the future. Because, again, you don't want to live a life of regrets. And that's the way to make it happen. Very well said, thank you. You're welcome. For this episode of Laguna, friends of Baxter State Park, Millinocket Memorial Library, and Stan Pals for your awesome blog, where I found you and your time and patience. Thank you.